Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insiders, Tyler Cool. Training camp is well underway in the National Hockey League, and there are stories supreme here as we, as I record, excuse me, on September the twenty fourth of twenty nineteen. All sorts of stuff to talk about. We have signings, injuries. Teams on the rise, teams on the fall, junior players doing whatever the heck they want, it seems like. All that and more, we will definitely get into that here today. Be sure, though, to talk about today's episode using the hashtag Podcast. Tweet us at Podcast and let us know what you guys think of all that has gone on in the first couple weeks of training camp. And we're just over a week away. From the start of the 2019-2020 National Hockey League regular season, there is quite a few big points here. Some teams have been kind of slow with stuff. I mean, it's just your usual, you know, panic. You know, everyone's panicking about, oh my gosh, this team is doing this. This team is playing like this. There is one team we will get to later on in the show. However, preseason hockey, folks, is the epitome of hashtag hockey Twitter being dormant for three months in terms of action, being able to react to what's going on the ice. Obviously, there's all free agency, and there was the uh, this was the year of the RFA, all of that good stuff, and everyone was losing their minds. Hockey Twitter, just like game one, Craft Hockeyville, Montreal and Florida. Buddy, there were analytic guys out there, analytic studiers. Studiers, that's not a word at all. There were guys that were using analytics to try to dissect that game, and it's just game one of the preseason. They're making it seem like it's game seven of the Stanley Cup Finals. It's literally what happens when you tell someone you can't have any, like, you know, you're playing your PS4 or whatnot, and, you know, your parents take it away from you for two months and you sit there and it's like, I can't wait to get back on there. I can play my cell. I can play Madden or whatever. And next thing you know, you just go crazy on it when you get it back. Even though you're really, it's just, it's just the same game you're playing or whatever. By the way, I still have not gotten NHL 20 yet. I do not plan to because I don't have a PS4 now since I moved out. And from what I've been hearing, the game is really taking a turn. I, well, I guess the, the passing's harder. Some of the goaltending is a little off. I remember I discussed it, I believe, a month or so ago when I talked about the hashtag NHL20 beta. But I have not heard much of it since. I guess the game is a little bit better, but it is different. And some people like it. Some people don't. It is interesting. I haven't played it yet, so I can't make any total judgments. So, that said... Let's get into what has gone on this preseason. Well, we can mention the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, like I said, Leafs fan here, I know. People are getting a little antsy, like, get off it, Leafs fan, you loser. We got other stuff to talk about. And there is plenty of stuff to talk about, other than the Leafs, of course. And one of the things, of course, was game one of the preseason. Austin Matthews and Morgan Riley, Morgan Riley playing almost half of the game, and Austin Matthews almost playing close to what twenty minutes or whatever, or over twenty minutes. And everyone's like, "Yes, finally, Matthews and Riley getting their playing time they deserve." And all I can say is, why now? The biggest problem was. 
that Matthews played sub-20 minutes in Game 7 against Boston. So why are we making it seem like it's a great thing that he's playing over 20 minutes in the preseason? Guys, Tom Brady doesn't even play 20 minutes in the preseason in the NFL. He doesn't even play more than two series in the preseason per game in the NFL. Why does it matter that Austin Matthews is playing 20-plus minutes in a preseason game? Let me know. This is, like I said, this is where hockey Twitter and every, all the Leafs fans, even not just Leafs fans, but fans of other teams, they go, they overanalyze and they overthink of what is actually going. They, they extenuate something that is so minuscule like preseason hockey. You know, when your team goes, if your team went winless in the preseason, you make it sound it's the worst thing in the world. Listen, there have been teams that have won the Stanley Cup that have gone sub 500 in preseason. Who cares? It's literally just a time to try to figure out how systems are working, get players into game shape. That's really all it is. And throwing your star players out to play half hour or 25 minutes in a preseason game is not the way to do it. If you're trying to condition for that, listen, the guys have been training all year long. They don't need to be going full tilt in game one of the preseason against, you know, the Belleville Senators and, and well, maybe a cup, maybe Craig Anderson in goal. That's not how you try to get guys ready for the season. You don't play them like it's, you know, the be-all, end-all, a win-or-die game. No, it's preseason. Get them in shape. Get the power play down. Get the penalty kill down. Hey, remember that power play? The Leafs supposed to be so dominant that wasn't last year. Figure that out first. Don't worry about Matthew's conditioning. That can go throughout the season. That's why you train in the offseason. All that stuff just doesn't make any sense to me why people – why coach, why Babcock especially thinks that, hey, well, this, this will shut up the Toronto media. No, it won't. There's 82 games left, guy. <laughs> There's plenty of time for you to get your criticism in. But let's get off the Leafs here. I promise that's the only Leafs talk I think I'll have, except for the, I will mention Leafs later on regarding a team that they played last night in preseason action where I almost contradict myself, where I say watching preseason hockey, you know, getting a little crazy about it, maybe overanalyzing, overthinking what's going on, I will contradict myself because of what happened last night. But we have breaking news to talk about, or at least breaking news from today. Justin Falk traded to the St. Louis Blues from the Carolina Hurricanes. Defenseman Justin Falk with a 2025th heading over to St. Louis, who will not be meeting him in St. Louis, will be Joel Edmondson, Dominic Bach, and a 2021 seventh round pick Joel Edmondson getting return to the Canes so you're getting that defenseman for a defenseman deal that we like to see in trades each side getting something in return Edmondson's at one more year of 3.1 million dollars part of the last year Stanley Cup champion winning team Justin Falk at a grand total of 4.8333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333333
And yes, still Robert Bertuzzo. Still a very, very good defenseman. Left side, still J. Bo Meester for one more year. You still have Carl Gunnarsson, who, st- who played a big role in the playoffs and the finals. And Vince Dunn, who's got one more year on his ELC. And he's already looking like a guy that's going to make one, two, maybe $3 million next year if he can keep it up at this rate. The St. Louis Blues are a team that silently could be a team that could make a run for back-to-back cups. They didn't lose a whole lot of talent up front. Jordan Bennington is still their number one goaltender. How will he do in his sophomore season? Who really knows? But you still have Oscar Sundquist on the back end. You still have Zach Sanford, who's still there. Barbashev, remember, he was a big part of the team as well. You still have your stars of Tarasenko, O'Reilly, Braden Shen, Tyler Bozak, even though he's $5 million, still a big piece. Adding Just simply adding Justin Falk to it. That is a huge move on the right side for this hockey club. Where Carolina had the right side, they were very strong on the right side, which they still are. Now St. Louis has put themselves as a team that is even stronger on the right side, even before Justin Falk was there. You still had your captain, Petrangelo, Pareko, and even Bortuzzo. Yes, a third pairing Bortuzzo, but still, a guy like Robert Bortuzzo who can still play big minutes down the stretch. I almost forgot they still have Derek Pooley out there who is making seven hundred grand through this coming season. Going back to the Metropolitan Division, Joel Edmondson joining a Carolina Hurricanes team that prides themselves on strong defense. Looking at it, like I said, Dougie Hamilton on the right side, Brett Pesci on the right side, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, despite being injured right now in the preseason, we'll get to that a little bit later on, still three quality defensemen on the right side. Left side, you have Jacob Slavin, Jake Gardner still, Joel Edmondson now, Gustav Forsling, Hayden Flurry waiting in the wings. These are two teams in two divisions that are just going to be wild and fun to watch this season with strong defense cores. And personally, two of the strongest defense and two of the strongest blue lines in the league. Not just in their divisions, not just in their conferences, in the league. Now, yes, you need a good front, you need you need timely scoring and good goaltending, but looking at the two teams, you still have Peter Morazic, who, if he can do what he did last year with Carolina, they'll be all right. And they had scoring up front. They still have Sebastian Ajo, Jordan Stahl, Tio Teravainen, Nino Niederreiter, Dezingle now getting added to that roster. And then, of course, like I said, back with St. Louis, you have Bennington. These two teams are very similar, having talented forwards. Obviously, St. Louis may be a little bit vet, more of a veteran presence up front as compared to Carolina, but two teams that had hot goaltending last year that carried them to at least the conference finals where St. Louis was able to be carried by Bennington to the Stanley Cup. But two very similar-looking teams of how they're structured. Solid defense, good talent up front with their top three lines, and goaltending that really surprised a lot of people last year. Now, with that said... Teams will have to look at their goaltending. Obviously, they'll know what to expect now. Nobody's going to take Morazic lightly. Nobody's going to take Jordan Bennington lightly. You're in a mixture between two part. You're in a mixture between two parties of watching, knowing how Bennington plays, knowing how Morazic's going to play, and of course, teams will adjust. But that's why the NHL is the way it is. That's why parity is such a big thing. That's why Carolina was able to make that run simply to the conference final, where they handled. Their competition. They, I don't say they handled Washington, but they handled the New York Islanders and they held their own against Washington. 
you got to think that they're going to definitely, they know the target's on their back heading into the season. Of course, same thing with St. Louis. They were last place right after, right at the new year. They know that they're going to have to be take, they're going to have to take, they're going to be taken more seriously. Excuse me. I'm getting so excited. I'm stumbling over my own words. So I'm interested in see. It's, you're literally looking at two teams that just traded pieces and they're still as strong. St. Louis dumping Edmonton. I say dumping, I use quotes, but still getting a good defenseman in Falk. Carolina losing one of their veteran pieces, but getting a cheaper player in return who can still fill and play quality minutes. That's huge. Don Waddell and Doug Armstrong are two of the best GMs right now in the league, hands down. They have had two really good years or at least one good year last year, and possibly a good year this year, with making simple but yet smart and effective moves. So I'm interested to see how they do. Of course, the news on top of Justin Falk arriving in the Central Division with St. Louis is that he has received a seven-year extension with $6.5 million AAV. Now, you almost think, is that too much? Is that maybe, is that going to be, is that going to put the Blues at the tipping point? Now, don't forget, guys, nobody knows how many more years Jay Bomeister has in this league. By the way, compared to other contracts that are nowadays, Justin Falk is 6.5 each and every year. No fluctuating contract, nothing else to worry about in that retrospect. But looking at this hockey club now for the Blues, Alex Petrangelo is up next year. Who knows how that's going to work? Colton Preco is signed through 2022, so through the possible, up until the, now the possible lockout of the 2022-2023 season, Bomeister's out, Falk obviously now signed through the 2027 season, but you still have Bertuzzo for three more years, Gunnarsson for two, Vince Dunn, unless something crazy happens and they end up trading him, after this season, his RFA rights, he'll be there for definitely a few years as well. The defense core is still there. It's going to be interesting on who they pick. Obviously, Petrangelo could make more, but he's definitely going to receive offers from other teams. Will the Blues look at exploring possibly trading Petrangelo so they don't lose him for nothing? That is to remain to be foreseen. And of course, if you are Doug Armstrong, you are looking at next year because Braden Chen will be a UFA. Robbie Fabry will probably be out the door, but you also have Sammy Blay and Mackenzie McEachern. McEachern, he'll be a cheap deal, but Sammy Blay played a big role, a big depth role for the Blues in the playoffs. If he can impress once again this year, uh, contract maybe a couple million dollars. So I'm sure that Dougie Armstrong is looking at his options, looking at what he has to deal with. Thankfully, you have Bennington locked up for two more years, as well as his backup, Jake Allen. Now, yes, you're paying $8.75 million between your two goaltenders, but that is... Have, just having a goaltender like Jake Allen, who has NHL experience, that can be a backup goaltender, and having Bennington, given that he's able to keep up from last season, knock on wood, will be an efficient starter for this hockey club. St. Louis is sitting fine. Is it a little bit for Falk, who is now 27, who will be turning, he'll be 28 when this contract starts? Yes. Will it be a lot, given the fact that he'll be 35 at the end of his contract? Yes. But... That is a problem down the line. You are looking at locking up a good right-handed defenseman. Like I said, you may lose Petrangelo. 
There goes one right-handed defenseman. You need someone to fill that hole. Justin Falk can fill it admirably. Is it to the same extent Petrangelo would? I cannot say. I would say I, it, it would be tough to do so because Petrangelo is a huge part of this team, huge part of the Blues. He's a quality defenseman. He's a veteran leader. He's the captain of the team. But Falk can still play big minutes. He's shown he's a top-four guy. And it may be Pareko then him on the depth chart in terms of on the right side, but still he can still play the power play. He can play on the penalty kill. He can fill areas where Petrangelo would leave the door open if he were to be moved or will sign in next offseason. So it remains to be foreseen on the future of the Blues captain, but adding a player like Falk and signing him for a long-term deal that will take him most, I guess, most predictably past his prime. That will really be a part of the Blues that they'll they're just going to try to see how they're going to be good now. Will they make a buy at the deadline? Who knows? Obviously, you have to wait till then to see where your holes are or where you need to improve on heading into the postseason before you do something like that. But right now, compared to last year's team to this year's team, the Stanley Cup champions to the 2019-2020 version of the Blues. Right now, they are sitting pretty. Now, of course, we must talk. We talked about Falk signing his long term deal, one deal that was not long term, but will definitely need to be talked about because why not? Because it literally happened shortly after we recorded last week. Braden Point signing with the Tampa Bay Lightning. He was unquestionably the last big fish. Of the RFA pool. Sorry, Patrick. Sorry, Jets fans. Patrick Lining was not the biggest fish. Braden Point was. He signed in a, a bridge deal, three years, $6.75 million AAV. Now, why is this deal so important? Why is it so interesting? Well, one thing is to mention is the actual contract. Now, I will give full credit here to the Staff and Graph podcast, Rachel Dory, Ian Tullock. They put on a great, they put they have an amazing show. They're very in-depth. Rachel Dory, of course, who worked with the video uh, anal- analyst for the New Jersey Devils, knows how to look at players, know how to see their tendencies. And, of course, Ian Tullock, Ian Graph, as Jeff O'Neill knows him as, very good with analytics, very good with numbers. And they made a very good point that I did not know about this. I don't know if you guys did at home, but I'm going to bring it up because it's worth mentioning. For an RFA, remember we always talk about the 105% rules. If you're making over a million dollars, you must make your qualifying offer has to be at least 105% of your contract. And and if it's under a million, it needs to be one. It needs needs to be 110% more. Here's why Braiding Points contract. Is such a big deal. 6.75 is, yes, the AAV, making him the third highest forward behind Kucherov and Stamkos on the Tampa Bay roster. He has signed a $4.25 million signing bonus this year. Next year will be a $3.5 million signing bonus, meaning this year's contract will be a base salary of $1 million. Next year will be $2.5 million. So the third year of his contract, there's no signing bonus. His base salary in 2021-2022 
will be $9 million. Why does this matter? He does qualify for arbitration, A. B, the last year of a contract for an RFA is the debt is like the is the baseline for the 105% minimum qualifying offer meaning that the minimum offer that the Tampa Bay Lightning can make Braden Point at the end of the 2022 season so in the summer of 2022 is 9.45 million dollars obviously you think 6.75 do the math from there no it's the last year of the deal so going back to the Zacharensky contract, where his last year of his three-year contract was $7 million, Zacharensky's minimum offer has to be $7.35 million. Like I said, this I just learned recently. <coughs> and that's such a big deal, obviously, because looking at the Tampa Bay Lightning's Cap Friendly on CapFriendly.com, they're going to have to pay $9.5 million to point, at least, probably 10 if he keeps producing, along with Kucherov and Stamkos, who will still be making their deals for long periods of time. You'll have Yanni Gord still making 5.1666. Tyler Johnson will still have two more years on his $5 million contract. And Alex Kalorn will be entering his last year of his $4.45 million contract. And you're looking at the bottom pieces for the Bolts. You have Anthony Sorelli, who is going to his last year of his ELC this year, which means he's going to be making some money after this year, all things considered. Tampa's going to also have to make sure they have plenty of defensemen as looking at their roster, all they have after the 2022 season signed are Ryan McDonough and Victor Hedman, which Ryan McDonough's contract is still too much. You'll have Mikhail Sergachev, who's entering last year of his ELC. Hello, payday. And obviously, you're going to have to fill out your defense core there. They're a little bit older. They're getting older, at least, in terms of having Braden Colburn and Kevin Shattenkirk at 34 and 30 years old, respectively. Shattenkirk making a one-year deal at 1.75. Colburn at two more years before being a UFA in 2022, making or 2021, excuse me, making 1.7 in those two years. So if you're Julian Breeze, while you are waiting to see how things are shaping up, will Braden Point be a guy that's going to have to make over $10 million? Will the cap give you enough room to make to give an offer for $10 million? Because if all things are considered, Braden Point will be a $10 million player by the end of this contract, and that is a minimum of $10 million. No way is he going to get 9.5. Unless, unless this little... Uh, little news that came out recently, shortly after he signed the contract, pays dividends or ends up proving costly, if you will. One of the big things that came out after Braden Point signed his contract with the Tampa Bay Lightning was that he had off-season hip surgery. Certainly is interesting if you would think so. Didn't think, think you think that would have been mentioned before the, the or while the contract negotiations were going on, or I guess lack thereof. I don't know if you want to call it negotiation since nobody was talking, it seemed like. But the Tampa Bay Lightning will be missing point, the third highest paid forward on their team, for the first month of the regular season. 
They're predicting by the end of October, so you're hoping by November 1st or November 2nd, Point will be back in the lineup because he's recovering, obviously, from hip surgery. He's still not like he just had it recently. As someone who has bad hips, I can tell you right now, you need to recover from a hips. You need to recover from hip surgery. You need to take your time with it because you can't rush back after hip treatment, if you will. Because, especially as a hockey player, I mean, I was a goaltender, so it's a little different. But even then, you need powerful strides. You need to be able to be flexible with your strides. You need to take those long strides. You need to be quick. You need to be able to turn quickly. And all that generates from your lower back and your hips. And obviously your legs as well, but that's important in terms of mobility. So they're going to take time with that, and I think that's why, well, obviously the Bolts were not going to be able to give Point a max deal because they didn't have any money to do so. So they're able to settle on a good deal of 6.75 for three years. Yes, Leafs fans, they think, oh my gosh, you're telling me we couldn't get Mitch Marner to sign that? No, because Mitch Marner wanted a long-term deal. Point realizes that the Tampa Bay could not sign him for that much for what he wanted. So he realized, let's do a three-year deal. Let's make it cost-efficient for now with the cap that there is. And then by the end of it, the cap will go up. Obviously, Braden Point's value will go up. Then he'll be able to sign that eight-year contract, I'm sure, that he wants, that max contract that he's going to go after. Will he be able to recover cleanly from hip surgery? Yeah, it's happened before. Obviously, side effects could easily happen. He could... Strain it again. It could nag him the rest of his career. Who knows? But and that's why in negotiations, you're very, you're very, very poignant at what you want. Braden Point was smart enough to realize that that $9 million he makes in year three will help him get a, get a guaranteed good size number in the next contract that he gets. Now, of course, 9.45 could look like chump change if the cap goes up in the next three years. But like I said, though, 2022 is the end of the SCBA, which means who knows? Will the money even matter at that point? But, of course, the big news is Braden Point, the last big fish in the RFA pool, is on the books. He is no longer available for any team to go after him, no team to offer sheet him, yada, yada, yada. Patrick Line is still out there. Kyle Connor is still out there. But really, that's really the big one that is off the board and that's pretty much it for RFA. I mean, yeah, we're going to keep looking at Lining because really he's the only one that's left. Kyle Connor, like I said, he'll be the guy that's going to stay with the Winnipeg Jets. I don't see any movement coming out of there from Kevin Sheveldayoff. He's a such a he's such a good, talented centerman. He's such a he's a two way player that's only continuing to develop year by year. He's going to be a big part of the Jets' future. Patrick Line, who knows? But we love. You know what? I'm telling you right now, hockey fans are underlying soap opera lovers, soap opera enthusiasts. You want to know how I know this? Slapshot. You guys remember the ice cream part, the bar scene uh, where they're kind of sitting there and watching the soap operas? Yeah, it's actually true. I mean, the Hanson brothers, I remember I was listening to them talk about it, the, the scene, like, yeah, we'd actually go after practice, go over to the bar, have a beer or whatever, go to lunch and watch the soap operas at the, at the restaurant. It's actually true. It's legitimately true. And you know what? Hey, hockey people love drama. Hockey people, and they love it every single day. You know what's on every day? Soap operas. Midtime, daytime stuff, days of our lives, general hospital, whatever's on CBS. I don't know anymore. But how do you know all the other ones, Tyler? My mother, by the way. Thank you very much. 
One of the other RFAs, or at least one RFAs that was signed, was the Ottawa Senators' top defenseman, Hot Sam Bacho, Thomas Shabbat. Shabbat signing a huge deal, and a deal that's looking like a steal, an extension of eight years, $8 million per, or $8 million AAV, excuse me, for Thomas Shabbat. This is it, and this contract was signed... On September the 19th, so just five days ago from this recording of this podcast. And I'm telling you guys, eight years at $8 million, people think that's a little high right now. Well, one thing, Ottawa has the cap space to do it. But if Shabbat continues to progress the way he is, the way he's been playing the last couple seasons, oh my goodness, guys, this is going to look like nothing by year number eight. Some terms on the contract, the first four years, he's open to be moved, yada, 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 but modified no-trade clause in the last four years of the contract, taking him through the 2028 season. Starting July 1st, 2024, Thomas Shabbat, if he were to be traded, has to submit a 10-team no-trade list. So at that point of his career, there will be 22 teams that can go after Thomas Shabbat or are open to be traded to by Thomas Shabbat. That said, though, if, if Thomas Shabbat is playing the way he is and Ottawa's able to get back into the swing of things and actually be a competitive hockey club, he ain't going anywhere. If Pierre Dorian's still in the office, he's going to strap him down and hold him down and realize that uh, he made a mistake with Eric Carlson and he needs all the talent he can get on the back end. And it starts and ends right now with Thomas Shabbat. I'm sorry, Ron Ainsley and Nikita Zaitsev are not going to be the saviors that everyone wants. The same way Ben Harper will never see the ice in the NHL. Right, Babcock? Some other news around the league. Connor McDavid returning to action after a season-ending knee, well, season-ending knee injury, a knee injury on the final game of the regular season last year, will be returning tonight against the Coyotes in preseason action. Why does this matter, folks? It's because, finally... There is good news for the Oilers. Obviously, Connor McDavid will be able to get back into game shape or at least get a couple games in, get some playing time in before game number one of the regular season. That is important in the fact that McDavid's game is speed. His game is fast, tempo, high tempo, plays on the fly, plays at top speed that nobody else can make. And having him have the ability to get a game in here, some playing time here there, will get him back into games, be able to make plays at game speed. You can practice as much as you want. You can go to the rink and do drills and do reaction drills and try to make plays around pylons and cones or other pucks or, you know, a skating coach or teammates. That's okay. That's one thing. But when you get into game, it's a completely different area. So getting McDavid back, like I said, to start off the show, Getting guys in game shape and getting them be able to make plays in legitimate, real game situations is important for them to be ready by the regular season. That's why getting McDavid back now is a big deal. Is he 100%? You know, a couple weeks ago wasn't seeming like it, but obviously he's going to be good enough. Now, how much will he be playing? I don't know. Will he play 10 minutes? I wouldn't play him much more than that. You're not going to try to kill the kid when his first game back. So it's good news for Oilers fans. Best all right now, one of the most talented, if not the talent, most talented player in the world, 
back on the ice is important. And we'll see how it goes. I don't know. There are the, the expectations for the Oilers really cannot be that high. Except Connor McDavid and Toby and Leon Dreisaitl really being able to light up the lamp because probably that's really where it's going to live and die right now. Unless James Neal gets out there and is able to put up 25 goals, it's looking like your offense right now. Your defense core is still kind of iffy. And Miko Koskinen is your goaltender along with Mike Smith. All right. We'll see how that one goes. But good to see McDavid get back on the ice tonight. Hopefully all goes well for him. You never want to see a guy be out for a long time with an injury like that. But we'll see how it goes. Remember, Steve Eisman was a very fast player, very offensively gifted player, and then he ran into knee problems. Ran into that very, I don't say very early in his career, but by the late 80s he was having knee problems. And obviously it really hindered him the rest of his career. So it'll be interesting to see how he's able to get through this. Remember, they took they were good to give time and take time after he had his collarbone injury in his rookie season. Very smart not to rush him back in. Obviously, he was able to come back and dominate the league, get the Calder Trophy, and then next year become league MVP. So we'll see how he does in this upcoming season. Going back to the Winnipeg Jets, Dustin Bufflin has been suspended by the Jets for failing to report to camp. We, we, we reported last week that Bufflin was given a personal leave of absence. Obviously, he outstayed that offer by the club. And nobody's really talking about it right now. There's really no news coming out of Bufflin's camp. Kevin Shavel day off is doing a good job of like he always does, is not saying more than needs to be. We don't know what's going on with Bufflin, but Bob McKenzie did tweet out last week that there is whispers of whether or not if Bufflin's actually considered actually returning to the NHL. And he and Bob McKenzie was sure to clarify that he wasn't saying he that Bufflin was retiring, but he was making it clear that Bufflin was reconsidering or was looking over and analyzing if he wanted to come back and play in the NHL. Obviously, Bufflin's not the same kind of run-and-gun kid he was with the Chicago Blackhawks and early on in his Jets career. He is still a very physical and very dominant force in this league, but obviously the wear and tear on that body when you play that kind of game does take a toll on a big man. So Dano Char is one of those few players that's been able to make it last as long as he did. Chris Pronger was the same way for the longest time, but unfortunately for him, concussions caught up to him. And Chara, I mean, he's return, He's apparently repairing, or excuse me, he is recovering from elbow surgery he had in the offseason, but he's still going to come back, and he's going to try to play, and I guarantee he's going to try to play again next season. But a guy like Bufflin who, let's be honest, Sedano Chara is a big brute force, but Bufflin is a brute force at high speed. Imagine an offensive lineman that can run a 3-4 or a 4-4-40 in football. Dustin Bufflin, for the longest time, was one of the fastest big men in the league. And he still shows that he can be a, a quality defenseman. Now, I remember there were early on in the Jets days that he'd come into camp weighing like 280, 290. He was overweight. He was eating too much garbage food in the offseason. But remember, Bufflin played in the dub. He played in WD League, the, the fun four-on-four league they have in Adena, Minnesota. 
and he so he was wasn't like he was completely out of on ice shape, but there's clearly something going on with him psychologically that he actually is considering possibly not playing hockey anymore. Jets fans probably know a little bit more than I do of how he looked throughout the entire 82 game season. Yes, obviously the playoff size, the playoff sample size was a little short this past spring, obviously getting knocked out by the eventual Stanley Cup champion, St. Louis Blues. But that injury that he had, the, the uh, I believe it was the knee injury that he had where his leg twisted just completely the wrong way, it must have really affected him in a way that was more than just a physical injury. If Unless there's something else. That, that's just my take on it, that obviously when you have an injury like that and you have to try to recover, it takes, it, it takes a lot of mental strain to come back from an injury that holds you back for that long. He did come back, and he, he was able to produce a little bit, but it wasn't the same Bufflin that we'd seen before. It wasn't the same kind of confidence. wasn't the same kind of dominant presence he had. He was not the same player. And I believe Bufflin is seeing that and really considering what his options are, what his future holds for him. I wish him all the best, whatever decision he makes. I, I support it. Because the biggest thing, I've always talked about it with, players is getting out when you can you're able to walk away from the game both literally and figuratively if Bufflin feels like his body's not being able to take it anymore but his body cannot take it anymore and it's starting to really you know wear and it's going to really affect him later on down the line all power to him I'm not going to say he's going to be a, not he's not a Hall of Famer or anything like that, but he's had a very successful career. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's been a top defenseman in the league for close to a, I mean about what a half decade now. Still, it's very he's his career has been impressive. What would he do outside of hockey? I don't know. There's always an opportunity for a guy to find a job in the front office. I mean, shoot, Kevin Adams just found a job with the Buffalo Sabres. Now, granted, not a hockey operations role, but guys still find a way to stay in the game, and I'm sure Dustin Bufflin would be that same kind of way. Would it be coaching? Would it be management? Would it be scouting? Who knows? But looking at the career of Dustin Bufflin and how it started, how he became like this superstar in Chicago and then got immediately dumped to the Thrashers with Andrew Ladd, moved up to Winnipeg, and really became a fan favorite just because of, at that time, the Jets really had no one else. He was their top defenseman. And really, until they acquired Tyler Myers and the rise of Jacob Truba, you could still arguably say, even with those two other guys, that he was their best defenseman. We'll wait to see what the decision is. Obviously, like I said, Bufflin suspended by the Jets. We'll see what... Then what decision he makes? Will he return? Will he not? Obviously, time's starting to tick, though, before the season starts. So, obviously, you don't want to go into game one with no no on-ice shape, no conditioning, because, well, especially if you're a guy like Dustin Bufflin, and what, the way the Winnipeg Jets defense corps has been severely depleted since the departures of Tyler Myers, Ben Sherratt, and Jacob Truba, oh, there's a lot of question marks on that back end for the Jets, and that's really going to put them at a hindrance with that central division going to be as tough as it is. Speaking of tough here in the preseason, there have been a lot of injuries that I've noticed. 
Now, I don't know if it's because I follow every single insider there is to know now on Twitter, but this year compared to other years, there have been a lot of injuries. A lot of, I don't say weird injuries, but a lot of notable ones. Yeah, you'll see guys get pucks in the ankle in preseason games or, you know, take a hard hit or have a schnub hit Clark MacArthur in the corner. Even though I'm not a Sens fan, I still feel bad about that because Clark MacArthur is such a good guy. It's such a good player, too. His career, it's, it's a shame his career got cut short because of a goon. But looking at some of the players that got injured, look at, looking at some of the injuries as well, Looking, coming out of Montreal, I guess, more or less. Michael McCarron, a guy that was going to be a fringe player. He could have, a guy that can play on the fourth line and add depth to the Montreal roster. Is that with a groin strain? Okay. Carey Price, having a sore hand, bruise on his hand, I believe it was, from probably from a shot, I think. Probably, I don't know if it was, I couldn't remember if it was a blocker or his glove hand. And of course, Ryan Palin, Ryan Palin getting a concussion in one of the preseason games. That's that, that's just unfortunate because I really I really had high hopes for Ryan Palin. I listed him in my top ten of I believe my I think it was number six or seven of my hockey writers article ranking all the centermen for the Montreal Canadiens because of the potential he could have. And I'm not just referring to game one, the one game he played last year where he put up a hat trick and then got the shootout winner against the Leafs. Paling's such a talented centerman. He can be a real good two-way player in this league. Obviously, out right now indefinitely with a concussion is not a good way, not a way that he wanted to start his fall. Price injury. Hey, let's just be happy that the Montreal Canadiens are being honest about an injury involving Carey Price because, you know, for, for those that remember throughout his career, uh, his knee problems have really uh, been hush-hush taboo kind of talk. But looking at some other ones, you have Artemi Panarin with a mild groin strain. Nolan Patrick with an upper body injury. Brock Besser with on concussion protocol that was literally just announced right before I started recording this. What is with it? Robin Leonard, as reported by Scott Powers of The Athletic, was injured in practice. They're ho- the Hawks are hoping it's nothing serious, and you hope not because Crawford is a... a you know, over the last couple of years has been clearly a lemon. And losing Leonard, who would pretty much be your starter if Crawford can't, if he's out and Crawford gets hurt, who is your goaltender? And the weirdest thing is, with today's National Hockey League players, the talent and even the guys that go in the minors and the ECHL, those guys train all season. Guys work their butts off to stay in shape. And pretty much nowadays, skate 11 to 12 months out of the year. So why are they coming to camp and pulling a groin? Or injuring a hip? Or rolling an ankle? You know, stuff that clearly makes it look like they were not physically prepared for something to, to go back into camp. In an era, in an, an era and a day where guys come in to training camp looking better than ever and literally just try to keep that weight and keep that strength throughout the season are getting simple injuries that are avoidable. 
and I, I mean, obviously, yes, you are facing, and that's why you see concussions sometimes in preseason games because there are guys out there that are trying to make the NHL, and they'll do everything they can to get up there. They'll work their, they'll play like it's Game Seven, even though it's September the sixteenth, and it's between two teams that are mostly made up of AHL players that are coached by the NHL guys that are played in some rink that's one of the minor league teams of that one of the farm teams of that of the NHL team that's the home team technically or if it's the Leafs they'll play in London or something like that or where their training camp was up in Newfoundland but why are players are, are players just not are these guys just not training right are they just going in lifting weights running a few miles shooting some shooting a few pucks here and there is that what they're doing in the offseason now? Because when I when I was skating in the summertime, when I'm skating with guys like Andy Mealy, Chad Billins, Chris Summers, guys that were trying to get to the NHL, trying to stay in professional hockey. Those guys were those guys were they were training and they were training hard. They were doing everything like it was the regular season. They were lifting correctly. They were making sure they do proper stretch. They were foam rolling after and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into like athletic training stuff and what you should do, but they were taking it very seriously. And we were doing, and they were, we were doing conditioning drills all the time. It wasn't like we were just, you know, going doing a few stick handling drills and a few shots here and there. We were bag skating. We were making sure we were conditioned and that we, that the guys that we all could take punishment throughout the year. Now, obviously, yes, I was not the successful one of this group because here I am talking to you folks at home or on the road or wherever you're listening to this on Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you're listening, that's why I'm here. But those guys were, I mean, Mealy's still playing, Billings, I believe, is still overseas. Chris Summers, as far as I know, has not been signed to a contract yet. I have not looked up his name on Cap Friendly recently. But it's not a type of profession you take lightly no yes Panarin is a kind of Artemi Panarin talking about his mild groin strain he's not the kind of guy that's going to be looked past in a situation like this but you would think that if you're going to get paid the amount of money that he is that he's going to take it a little more seriously I, I you I would think I mean I could be wrong you can tweet me Tweet using the hashtag the Kill Podcast and tell me Tyler you're wrong for believing that Panarin was you know it was a complete it was a complete coincidence that he had a mild growing strain. But if you are properly training and taking it seriously, and of course you have the money to pay for the personal training to do it, the good personal training to do it, you shouldn't have these problems in the preseason. Yeah, you know, the wear and tear of an 82-game season will take its toll on you. You'll, you'll have bumps and bruises, maybe some sore muscles. But in September, that just shows you weren't ready coming into camp. And I have a huge problem with that because there are a lot of guys out there that work their butts off to simply get a shot at camp, to get a PTO. And here are some of these guys that are tweaking muscles because they – didn't train hard enough in the offseason thinking they're going to come to training camp and get into shape like it was like, like what it's 1974, you know, no, you should be in shape when you come to camp and be ready to take a beating. I, I don't get it. This may sound like a bunch of rambling nonsense from yours truly, but 
I just think if you're going to be a nine, $10 million player that you're going to be ready to go come day one of camp. Cause obviously there'd be a lot of other guys out there. They're going to try to be going after jobs and what are they going to do? Hide you in the corner so you don't get hurt. No, that's not how it works. Like I said before, that's how the NFL does it. You can't go into this game, can't go into training camp and can't be going into game one of the regular season obviously not prepared for an 82-game season. I'm not quite sure on how what the mindset is of some of these players, but it is what it is, and they're going to have to figure it out because it's a long season. It's weird because it's you start in October, and it's 82 games. It's going to be so long, and then you get to March, and it's like, oh, my gosh, the season's we're five games left in the regular season. So... I don't know how it is from a player's perspective, but it's a grind. And some of these guys are showing signs of wear and tear two weeks in. Not good. Not a good sign at all. Mention the Montreal Canadiens with Michael McCarron and Ryan Palin having issues with injuries. Carey Price. So last night, the Montreal Canadiens hosted at the Bell Center the Toronto Maple Leafs. Or as a lot of people were saying, the Toronto Marlies and a goaltender by the name of Michael Hutchinson. It was a battle of the right-handed catching goaltenders, Charlie Lindgren and that for the Montreal Canadiens. And it literally was the Montreal Canadiens, the team you'll see on game one of the regular season, against the Toronto Marlies. Let me quick go through some of the players that were on the quote-unquote Leafs roster last night. Their top players, such as Jeremy Brackel, Pierre Engvall, Pontus Aberg, Nick Shore, Kenny Agostino, Adam Brooks. Adam Brooks. Nick Patan was out there who had two assists in the game. Timothy Lilligren and Jake Schmal- or Schmaltz was out there. Justin Hall, Ben Harper. That was your defense core. Joseph Wool backed up Michael Hutchinson. Michael Hutchinson, by the way, who made a 38, who recorded a 38 save shutout against your Montreal Canadiens, which featured was not little, but not limited to Max Domi, yes, Barry Kotkiemi, Nick Cousins, Joel Armia, Nate Thompson, Jonathan Duran, Thomas Tatar, Jake Evans, Mike Pekka, Charles Houdon on the back end, Ben Sherrod, Jeff Petrie, Carl Alsner, Josh Brook, Keith Kincaid, and Charlie Lindgren, like I said, was your starting goaltender, Kincaid, backing up. So there is plenty of reason for the Montreal Canadian fan base to be a little concerned. Like I said, you don't want to overthink and get a little over the top when in terms of preseason hockey. But when you see your NHL team, your legitimate NHL roster, lose to the Toronto Marlies, and with now with Michael Norvith being announced today that he has been released from his PTO, pretty much guarantee Michael Hutchinson the backup job with the Leafs. I will, I will tell you this, guys. Montreal is not looking too pretty. I'm exploring writing a piece on it here for the hockey writers here because I need to get back into writing for them. I know I've been a little quiet on that aspect, but really, this is not good. I mean, Igor Korshkov, Korshkov had a couple goals last night for the Leafs, and one of them was just a blatant turnover right in the Canadian's end. It was just sloppy play on the blue line. The Montreal Canadiens are a team that was supposed to take really good and we're supposed to take leaps and bounds improvement this year. Carey Price was going to be back. Max Domi was going to 
keep continue to improve. Like I said, Ryan Paley was going to be a legitimate opportunity to be a good center in this league. You know, Jake Evans was supposed to be a guy that could be looked to be called up by from Laval. Jonathan Drew was supposed to have a bounce back year. Tomas Atar was going to have to build off last year. Ben Sherratt is going to really be inserted to a role. And really, that team last night looked so subpar against AHLers and Nick Patan and some other guys that were trying to crack the roster. It was truly a poor game through and through. I don't see how the Montreal Canadiens, they got to take a real, I hope that was a real gut check for the Cavs. Because you watch a team that's supposed to be better, that you just hope are better. And, and a team that up until I think was the second night, second to last night of the regular season still had a chance to make the playoffs going from that to a team that really didn't look like much, was there, there There was just no effort it looked like. Was it the fact that they realized they were playing an AHL team? Is it the fact that, you know, they're just trying to get into game shape? What is it? But when your systems for your NHL club are losing to the systems of AHLers, getting taught an NHL system by an NHL coach, that's definitely not something to be bumping your chest about. Like I said, a little over a week before the season starts, but there needs to be some work done with the Montreal Canadiens if they want to hang in this Atlantic division. Toronto, Tampa, and Boston, any way you go, will be in the top three. Florida with Bobrovsky, Barkov, Yandel on the back end, Huberdo. They will be a very interesting team. Fitz and Trocek, they'll be a team that's going to be battling for a wild card spot. Even then, they may even be a team that could be in the top three, give or take how the top three go if they all fight each other. If the Montreal Canadiens want to compete. Now, yes, you're looking at Buffalo, and they should be better, and Detroit will improve, and who knows with Ottawa. But if you want to get back to the top, if you're Montreal, if you want to get back into playoff contention, you can't just look like an ECHL team. And I say that with sincere honesty. Because there's no way... The Toronto Marlies should dominate the Montreal Canadiens like that. The Montreal Canadiens last night, guys, looked like Laval Rocket. Except actually, if it was the Marlies playing Laval, it'd be like 6-0 or 7-0 or something like that. It would have been a lot worse. Charlie Linger knows all about that. But come on. Is it Julian behind the bench? Not preparing the players? Is it Bergevin? Not doing much in the offseason? What is it with this hockey club? This team should be a team that should be well above 500 and a team that should be competing for a playoff spot legitimately from game one on, not a late run or, you know, a squeaker in. They should be a team that should be competing for a wild card spot. And last night they looked like a team that's going to be a lottery pick. It is embarrassing for the Montreal fans that go to the games that, Die hard cheer for the fans and die hard cheer for their team. And my goodness, there'll be a few nights they'll sell out, but it sure as heck won't be to watch the Canadians play if they keep it up like this, guys. This is bad. Those stub hub prices are going to go through the floor if Montreal continues to perform. If they actually 
go into the season looking like this. We'll see how it goes for Montreal, but they have a lot to work, a lot of work to do if they want to be project they if they want to be where they were at last season. That's where that that's their goal almost now after last night is to be like, hey, can we be close to a playoff spot? Because right now, they're gonna be battling Ottawa for bottom of the East. I don't know enough about the NHL. Last thing I want to mention here before we wrap up today's episode of TKP. There's been a little bit of something. There's been something going on in the OHL. And I'm talking about Ryan Merkley. Ryan Merkley, defenseman currently with the San, a training camp with the San Jose Sharks and a guy that's actually been living with Brent Burns over the summer, currently is signed to a contract with the Peterborough Peets of the OHL. Merkley last year was traded from the Guelph Storm to Peterborough right before Guelph Storm went on their run all the way to the Memorial Cup. And Merkley is a very interesting defenseman. He was one of the top score, one of the top scoring D-men last year in the OHL. He's a very offensively gifted player, similar to a guy like Brent Burns, who can put pucks on net, can create offense, can score on the rush as well. His downside, though, is his defensive game. It's very underdeveloped and really has struggled at times to prove that he can be a two-way defenseman, even in the OHL, in junior hockey. So this kind of started with, and I remember I mentioned it before, I've always mentioned on the show how junior players want to go play in London or Windsor or Oshawa, one of the big teams, right? One of the teams that have just been feeding players to the NHL for the last 50 years. Well, Merkley, obviously, with Peterborough, even with Guelph last year, has really shown the fact that he doesn't want to be there. And Merkley's not... I mean, let's put let's put this right out there right now. Just because Merkley's made it through cuts and maybe one of the last few to be cut from the San Jose Sharks camp, he's not making the NHL. It's just plain and simple with that. Like I said, his game is completely underdeveloped. He can score. But boy... Is he, a, is he the most obvious example of a 100-foot defenseman? And 100-feet defensemen are great if you're playing junior C or junior B. We'll get to the junior B part here in a second. So let's put it this way. Ryan Merkley asked for a trade from Peterborough. Okay. Players have asked been traded before. Eric Lindros didn't want to play in Windsor. Wanted to play close to home. Got traded to Oshawa. Thank goodness, because boy, would I not have wanted to be part. I mean, Eric Lindros would not have played. So, I, I, I'm one of the followers of at OHL Insiders on Twitter. It is a guy, then, um, I do not know his exact name, but he's a real good piece and a good little, he's on the pulse of what goes on in the OHL. Very smart and and it's not like he's just and he's not like he's just spewing out tweets about news and stuff like that. He's not a guy that just randomly tweets stuff just to tweet. He is very knowledgeable, knows a lot of people around the league, a lot of people that have connections to player people in the league. So he finds out stuff like this. And so I've been following him and I've been seeing this this tweet and said Brian Merkley updates. And I get it, you know, he's not a he's not a he's not a talented hockey. He's not like I said, he's not a 200 foot defenseman. He is 
definitely got a lot of work to do if he wants to be in the NHL. But I was kind of curious on what he was talking about. He's saying Merkley updates, Merkley updates, Merkley updates. I'm like, okay, so he's asking for a trade. So, I mean, yes, he's a big-time defenseman, and there are guys that could, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, they've asked for trades before. Players have wanted to go to London, go to Windsor, blah, 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 as, as I said many times before. But now, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scroll through his tweets here. Back on September the 19th, it was tweeted out that the Caledonia, the, the Caledonia Corvairs, Corvairs of the, of the Great Ontario Junior Hockey League, Junior B, up in Ontario, signed Ryan Merkley. And interestingly enough, it was it was legit, and he actually it's funny he sh- he actually screenshotted his conversation with with the Corvairs about how that's actually going to work, and it would the only way it would work is if the Sharks reassigned him to a Junior B club, which apparently is legal, and <laughs> apparently Caledonia's coach Mike Bullard is tight with San Jose management. I don't know if it's exactly with directly with Doug Wilson. But clearly, there's a lot of hoop and a lot of going on because Merkley does not want to play for Peterborough just because they're not a good team. Peterborough's a playoff team, but obviously there's a difference between a playoff team and a team that will get you to the NHL. I honestly wonder, if you're Ryan Merkley asking for a trade, does Getting put on a good team help your defense. Like, listen, you you're playing in the OHL. You are not on a great team, which means you work a lot in the defensive zone. So, yes, your numbers are not going to produce. First of all, you're already drafted. You're already in an NHL camp. Don't worry about how many points you put up. Work on the game that you need to improve on. Work on your defensive side. Why does it matter if you don't put up points? With Peterborough, if you don't are if you're not successful with Peterborough, don't forget Nick Suzuki was playing on Owen Sound up until he got traded in that huge deadline deal for to Guelph. Nick Suzuki didn't ask to be traded to Guelph. He was just traded because Guelph was they were gonna they were selling the farm to go for a run in the Memorial Cup. Now, obviously, they came very close, but. They didn't need to do it. Or Suzuki didn't ask for a trade. He didn't say, guys, put me on a winning team. He was fine in Owen Sound. He was drafted by the Vegas Golden Knights. He was going to be a member of the Montreal Canadiens. He was okay with that because he was still a talented hockey player who could play both ends of the ice, by the way. So he is signed by the Corvairs. And by that, I mean Ryan Merkley. And... But then he goes to camp and starts to impress, so obviously the stock goes up a little bit. A couple days ago, or excuse me, yesterday actually, OHL at OHL Insiders, Merkley update, quote, don't think anything is expected to happen until he gets sent back. By that, I mean gets cut by the San Jose Sharks. The only thing that is taking place is Saginaw emergency as a preliminary frontrunner for Ryan Merkley. And apparently, according to OHL Insiders, they're pushing pretty hard and Saginaw is still a 
team that could be a very good hockey club. They still have Owen Tippett up front. Goaltending with Ivan Provatov, I believe he is moving on, if I'm not mistaken. That'll be interesting how they do in that area of their game, but obviously adding Ryan Merkley would be important in terms of production for the spirit. But he also said that Barry, London, and Windsor are all interested as well. Like I said, London and Windsor in there. Guess where Ryan Merkley is being or trying to push to be traded for? Obviously, I'm sure he's, I would hope he's focused on NHL training camp, but if he heard that London and Windsor were asking for him, I'm sure he'll be like, yes, whatever needed. And then I believe as of yesterday as well, if Saginaw were to land Merkley and had to give up player to do so, he believes the OHL at OHL Insiders believes that Peterborough has interest in Nick Porco. Porco, who played for the Vaughn Kings with Nick Robertson, who was actually scouted by Peterborough scout Dave Pulford. Obviously, they chose Nick Robertson over Porco, but wouldn't it be interesting if they traded Porco for Merkley and then put the two together again, who apparently were pretty, both pretty good in Bantam, according to at OHL Insiders. But really, that's been the latest on it, and it's really just been the latest example of a player in junior hockey trying to take control of his own fate. And like I said, it was it really started with Eric Lindros. And it's a shame to see players, especially at that age, try to control how they are. It's just, it's thoroughly annoying from my perspective to see a guy that wants, now yes, you want to make the NHL, but why do you need to do it when you're already drafted? I get it when you're, a, when you're in the OHL entry draft, when you're 15 years old, Yes, you want Mark Hunter to give you, or you want Dale Hunter, excuse me, to give you a phone call and say, hey, kid, we want you to come play for us in London. Absolutely. Any kid would want that. But there are kids that play through Junior B and Junior A that don't get a chance to play in the OHL because they're not good enough, and yet some guys would be good enough to go, they'd be happy enough to go play in North Bay or Sudbury or, heck, even when Brampton had a team, of course, Brampton, like I said, moved to North Bay, but... You know, go and play in Sault Ste. Marie or Peterborough. It'd be any be happy to play anywhere. Kingston. Of course, then again, I'd love to go play for Doug Gilmore myself, but that's just me being a little Leafs bias. I'm going to try to get a hold of OHL at OHL Insiders. I want him on the show because I'm curious to see. I want to hear his take on this if he's interested because I would love to have to talk to him about this because it's so interesting to know, to see, to, to hear what is going on. Is it Ryan Merkley? Does he have an agent that's trying to do all this? What is going on? Is he refusing to play? Will he actually go play Junior B after he gets cut by the Sharks? It's, you're really looking at all this from so many perspectives because going to Junior B would be the worst thing for his career. That is not, that is not up for discussion. Yes, there's good talent in Junior B, and some players make it from Junior B to Junior A or Junior B to the OHL, but you don't go backwards. Yeah, you'll put up 75 points as a defenseman or 95 or 100 points, whatever, playing Junior B in the Goge, but where is the improvement aspect? It's like a kid that plays rep hockey his entire life and decides to play local league. What what's what are you trying to accomplish? Trying to be Trying to bump up your stats for... A lesser division? No, that's not how it works. You want to become an NHL defenseman. You play at the top level. 
You play for a you play for a team like Peterborough, who yes, I get it, may not be a top team in the league, may not be a humongous program, but your guys already drafted. Develop your game. You'll play 25, 30 minutes a night, and you'll have to play against the other team's top players. If you're Ryan Merkley, why would you get traded to a team like London and probably play second pairing minutes in the OHL? That's not good for your development. It just sounds like a kid that thinks he's God's gift to the world, but really is no more than you know just a you know a side piece that is a is good who has talent, but is going to waste it all away because he's not going to get what he wants. That's the problem with today's generation of hockey players. Just because they don't get what they want, they'll sit there and mope about it until someone finally gives them to them. They want that new toy that everyone else wants to play with, that everyone is that everyone looks to play with, and he wants it, but if he doesn't get it, he'll sit there and mope about it until someone hands it to him. Instead of working to try to go for it, until they're trying to get the earn it themselves. Ryan Merkley may become an NHL defenseman one day. But he's going to have to earn it. He can't just sit there and hope somebody gives it to him. Because there's a lot of work to be done for Ryan Merkley. And really, there's no other way to go about it. If he gets traded, cool, good for him. He'll get what he wants. But, I mean, he's a talented junior defenseman. We've seen him before. We'll see it again. We'll see plenty of junior defensemen come up and be very good and be exceptional talents. But they'll go to the NHL or go to the AHL level and pro hockey, and they'll really they'll just sit there and they'll uh, they'll crap the pan, they'll crap the bed. I mean, I'm not. I don't hope of it. I don't hope that upon anybody. But if Merkley doesn't take this seriously and doesn't actually consider the fact that if he goes and plays junior B hockey, he's not going to be an NHLer. Unless he does sign with the team and goes to maybe the Barracudas, I mean, that's probably the only thing he's probably hoping for now. But, man, that's just it's just a weird saga with this one kid who's got talent and can really develop into a quality defenseman is going to waste it away because he doesn't. he's not playing for the team he wants to play for. Maybe there's more to it, but really from what I've been hearing, from what I've been reading, it's what it, this is what it looks like. A selfish player who thinks he's who's very egotistical, but hasn't accomplished a single thing in this in in hockey, at least in the higher levels. But still thinks he should be given every opportunity that anyone else gets. Like I said, there could be more to it. I'm going to try to reach out to OHL insiders because I am curious. I want no, I want more information on this. This is a story that we should definitely make public because. Talented player, going to waste. Seen it before, we'll see it again. That is pretty much it for this episode. I not I can't make any promises on regular episodes. It's probably going to be earlier in the week because obviously I'm going into broadcasting hockey. I believe my first game is this Friday. D2 Davenport taking on the Red Hawks of Miami. I'm very excited to start the season up, so it'll probably be episodes Monday or Tuesday simply because of the fact that Obviously, the rest of the week, I'm doing prep work for those games unless something comes up. Be sure to, though, and uh, of course, we hope Alex comes on in the next episode. He knows where my apartment is. It's right down the road from Davenport. He goes to school, comes over after. 
he will hopefully be back. I hope so too. It's obviously more fun with two people in the studio. And that, like I said, that is it. Be sure to tweet us and make sure you follow us at the Kill Podcast to make sure of any updates on new episodes, new information, and some just random tweets that we like to, you know, we like to retweet stuff and like to tweet our own opinions on things. Also, you can follow me at TJKU29. You can follow some of my Davenport stuff as well. You can follow DU. Follow DU at DUNV Sports, right? At DU underscore NV Sports at du underscore d1 hockey d2 d3 or at w hockey for women's hockey because we have four teams at davenport i'm covering all of them once again this season i am interested to really get back in the swing of things i love doing play-by-play i hope i can do that for full time in the future but obviously right now you gotta work to get there you can't just sit there and wait till someone gives it to you you gotta earn it yourselves That's my message for the day, folks. Put that on your bumper sticker. Put that on a bumper sticker. Put it on your car. Put it on your Volvo, your truck, whatever you want to call it. Do whatever you want to do, but be sure if you're going to do so, take a picture and tweet us at the hashtag the kill podcast and be sure to talk about this episode as well. Be sure to follow at DT Sports Network, downtownsportsnetwork.com. Check out all of your lovely football information. Basketball is going to be coming up here soon. Yes, we are still the only hockey show on there yet, but if you're interested, if you have a hockey podcast yourself and feel like joining on, go ahead and tweet them. Reach out to them. They will definitely be willing to take all comers on, and then we can have ourselves a good old-fashioned hockey podcast war. It'll be great. It'll be fun. We'll yell at each other and call each other out and chirp each other over episodes and stuff like that. Okay, maybe not really, but you know what I'm saying. If you're out there, tweet us at it. Add a, tweet us, at us, whatever you want to do. We really want to hear from you guys. We'd love to interact with you and tell you all the good stuff about hockey and uh, hear your opinion on it as well. We're always interested to hear other people's opinions and see their conversations just so we can laugh at them too and yell at them too. Okay, we're really, I'm a really horrible person. I'm sorry, but that's just me. We will see you next time. Thank you, folks. Once again, like I said, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Spreaker. I forgot to say Spreaker as well, the the main proprietor of Downtown Sports Network. You can find us anywhere and everywhere. Be sure to follow us at The Kiel Podcast. Once again, folks, thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to another episode of The Kiel Podcast. We'll see you next time.